Zones podcast. This is episode 82. Happy New Year, everyone. It has been forever since my last show. I have been really busy lately, and I also took some time in December to just hang out with the family. So it has taken me quite a while to finally get this done. Today's show was inspired by a couple of different emails that I received. So if you think I'm kidding about emailing with questions or with topics you would like me to talk about, you're wrong. I've said this before, but when you when you all send me requests for show topics, it gives me an idea of what you want to hear more about. That way I know that I'm giving you what you want. And as I'm writing this, I'm realizing how diverse this group is. The most recent emails I've gotten have been from a CODA, a PT, and a dietitian. That is pretty cool. And it helps drive home the point that we are all working for the same outcomes or similar outcomes, but just in different ways and with different backgrounds. We can and should all help each other with our experiences and knowledge so we can provide the best services to our clients. One thing I've learned from doing this podcast is that no matter what country you live in or where you live within each country, the issues and concerns that we all have are the same. You are not alone. There are other people out there who have the same concerns or are working with similar clients with similar difficulties as you. So you can reach out to me, send me an email or Instagram message, and I will work to get that information out there for everyone to consider. Now for the topic today, the questions I received were specific, and I will get into those during the show. But generally speaking, the actual topic is more broad. So I will also talk about this in a broader sense so that you can take the concepts and apply them to any situation that makes sense in your setting. I'm going to be talking about how to work with kids who have low cognitive abilities for their age. Now, I will be talking about kids because that is my area. But I know there are adults who have low cognitive abilities that some of you also work with in a therapeutic setting. These same concepts can be applied to those clients as well, but the specific examples that I will give today will be geared more towards the pediatric population. So you will hopefully be able to take the information presented and make it apply to your own specific situations, regardless of the age or setting of your clients. As I was looking over the questions, even though the questions are different in their specifics, the one similarity that I noticed is generally they wanted to know how to help people with low cognition become more aware of themselves and their environment. This is such a great topic, and I'm really glad that these therapists asked me because I may not have come up with this on my own. One of the questions asks about working with students in a pediatric setting on improving their grasp from a gross whole hand grasp to a pincer grasp. And another question revolves around working with students with low cognitive abilities, um, both on their grasping skills and on self-help skills, such as taking your shoes and socks on and off. 
In the situation the therapist mentioned working with kids who have multiple disabilities and vision impairments. I'm going to address vision impairments, but I'm going to save that for another episode so that today I can just focus on the um, kids with lower cognition. And on another show, I will focus on people with both low cognition and vision impairments. It is really hard for me to break these down into simple answers because the answers are just not that simple. But as always, know that I'm trying to drive home some points to you and these suggestions or thoughts won't work in every situation. It's up to you as the therapist to figure out the best fit for each client or student. I will start with the pincer grasp goal piece of this. And my first thought is to say, here are a bunch of ideas for different activities that can encourage grasp progression. But when I think about the big picture, what I need to say first is think about repetition. Repetition and practice is what you need to keep in mind no matter which activities you choose to use. The whole idea behind any of the activities is repetition and practice. The more these kids get to practice using their hands, using their fingers in different ways during play activities, the better chance they will have in making improvements towards a finer pincer grasp. You may have learned about motor learning theories in school, and that is essentially what I'm talking about here. For kids or people with cognitive impairments, the learning process can tend to take longer, and how much longer depends on the individual. By using repetitive activities, we hope to make these learning connections happen. The more we have them participate in the activities, the more likely they will remember the activities and hopefully be able to learn the motor skills we are having them work on. This sounds pretty simple, and in theory it is, but those of you who have any experience with it at all will know that it may be a simple concept for us, but the learning process can take a long time for some of these kids. And in the meantime, sometimes we feel like we aren't doing enough to help them. I can tell you that as long as you are providing the opportunities for the repetition of movement appropriate for each child, you are helping them. With that being said, repetition is not the only thing to consider because we also need to make sure we are offering appropriate activities and the activities are the best fit for their current skill level. As therapists, we are constantly evaluating and assessing the kids that we work with. Every time I work with a child, I'm assessing the situation to see how they are doing in that moment and comparing that to the previous time that I observed them. This helps me with planning future activities and suggestions that will continue to be the best fit for that child. One other thing to think about, a lot of times therapists tend to work on fine motor activities at a tabletop surface and directly at the child's midline with all items within the child's reach so they can work on manipulating them. This is not a bad thing to do but it shouldn't be the only way of presenting activities and materials. Even if a child needs support to be upright, like a stander or a supportive chair, you can still change things up. Instead of offering the activities directly in front of them on the table, hold the pieces out to the sides or up higher in the air, 
Change the places where the kids have to reach for things. Get the whole arm moving and help them practice these skills farther away from their bodies, too. For one thing, if they can't reach it enough to get their whole hand around the object, they will need to resort to using their fingers and fingertips and thumb instead, or at least try. Not only does this work on the fine motor reaching and grasping skills, but also begins to incorporate visual scanning and visual tracking, plus increases the hand-eye coordination challenge. Let me give you some of the examples of activities that I use when working on grasp progression from whole hand to pincer grasp. Remember, it's really less about the exact activities and how cute or perfect they are for the kids, and more about getting in that just-right challenge and repetition and practice. For that reason, I don't think there are any earth-shattering activity ideas, but to give you an idea of some of the things that I'm talking about and the things that I like to use with younger kids, just to help you get some suggestions in a starting place. These can be modified for older kids and adults as appropriate for their level. For one thing, simply tying scarves together and pushing them down into an empty jug. I've used um, plastic juice bottles and and empty um, soap refill containers and things like that. Then the kids can work on pulling the scarves out, which works on grasp development by encouraging them to hold the scarves with their fingers rather than the whole hand grasp when possible. They can also help push them back in, which will help work on finger control, strength, and finger isolation. I can usually find a bunch of these scarves at dollar stores, and they work really well for this. Things like clothespins or chip clips. If they are unable to squeeze these to clip them onto things like cardboard boxes or plastic cups or anything you can find around the house or a school if you work in a school, that's okay because you can clip them on these things for them and then let them pull them off. That way they don't have to be exact and they will still be working on their grip strength, reaching fine motor control, and coordination. Again, thinking about moving these objects into different planes, different higher and lower areas, so that they have to do more reaching. I personally love using Parmesan cheese containers, the ones that have the lids that opens with two different options, either the larger opening or the one with the um, four smaller holes. These are perfect for four putting things in like short straws, pipe cleaners, smaller pom-poms, Q-tips, and the other side with the larger opening. They can also put these same items in that side if the holes are too small on the other side for them to coordinate putting them in there. But they can also use slightly larger items in the other side like poker chips or memory game cards or any smaller type toys like little characters or dinosaurs or blocks, pretty much anything. It is nice to put in objects that are more solid, just generally because the kids usually like to hear the objects land in the bottom of the container. Plus, then they can shake the container and watch it and hear the things moving around inside. Pipe cleaners can be used in so many ways. They nicely fit into certain 
um, colanders or spaghetti strainers, even kiddos with lower cognitive abilities can really have a lot of fun reaching for these to pull them out of the holes of the strainer. Some kids may be able to work on also putting them back into the holes to start again. Of course, I can't talk about anything fine motor without talking about tactile sensory play. Letting them get messy and interact with different textures is a great way to increase awareness of their hands and fingers. The simple activity, for example, of playing in shaving cream, the feeling not only of the shaving cream on their hands, but also the friction of their hands and fingers rubbing across the surface of the table or paper or window or mirror, whatever you're using at the time. There's so many good things about this type of activity, and it's so simple. Not that tactile sensory play starts and stops with shaving cream or pudding or anything like that, because, you know, I generally like to use food objects in case they decide to taste it. Um, Water beads, beans, rice, slime, Play-Doh, pasta, jello, one of my personal favorites, and really any kind of other foods. Not only the tactile awareness piece of this and possibly decreasing tactile sensitivity for some kids, but also the whole concept of opening your hand all the way and making a fist or working on isolating your index fingers or all of your fingers, poking with your fingertips, pinching with fingers and thumb, squeezing with the whole hand or any range of the grasp development. Such a simple concept and simple tactile sensory activities can have a really big impact with any of the kids we work with. There are a lot of people with tactile sensory aversions, and to those people I say, messy is good for you. Trust me on that. Keep in mind that fine motor skills tend to develop proximally to distally. So this is why we talk about developing core strength first. And typically our gross motor skills tend to develop before our fine motor skills can become really good. Some kids will be able to make gains with developing core strength and others may have more difficulty with this. While continuing to work on core strength, you can also work on developing upper extremity motor skills. So... You may have a child sit in a supported seating device where their core or trunk area is secure so they don't have to work on that balancing and strengthening during this exact exact time. And you can have them work on gross motor movements of their arms with reaching up into the side and in different planes closer and farther away from their own body during these play activities. You would have them work on moving their arms at their shoulder joint area first to get that proximal piece, working on strength and coordination and endurance. Then work on using not only the shoulder, but also incorporating more specific elbow movements and moving farther away from the body down towards the end of the arm where your wrist and hand and your fingers are. As with anything, each individual child will be at their own level with this, and it is up to you as their therapist to figure out what their skills are, so you can determine which areas to work on that will be the best fit for them. The best fit being not too hard, but not too easy either, as close to just right as you can get, where they will actually be 
working and developing skills, or at least the potential or opportunity is there. But not so hard that they will just feel like they can't do it and give up on trying. By figuring out ways, including different positions with prone or supine or sidelying or sitting with support, you can encourage the upper extremity movements and basically more or less isolate that area to see how much they can do. I am a really big fan of working on the core strength first and foremost, especially with a child that I know due to the observations I've made in working with them already, that they're capable of making progress with developing core strength and endurance. If you are working with a child or a person who has already made progress and has seemed to plateau no matter how much you work on core strength with them, you don't want to ignore working on the upper extremities for fine motor skills. So I'm more willing to more or less give those kids a break, so to speak, and provide additional support for them so they can be successful and start making gains with their upper extremity strength and coordination. However, my preference is to incorporate both if possible. It is really hard for kids with low core strength to sit or stand and hold themselves upright while also reaching with their arms at the same time, especially both arms. For one, they may be wanting to literally support themselves by leaning on one or both hands or arms for support, but even if they aren't leaning on their arms, it takes a lot of effort to think about and coordinate all of those muscles in the core and the upper extremities and the eyes, head, and neck at the same time, which is often required when doing many of these activities. The difficulty they have with trying to coordinate all of these things, and even with minimal or slow progress, this is one of the most effective ways of making really good progress. If you can get the right fit so they don't give up, and it's not so easy that they really don't have to work hard, going through those motions and making everything try to work together with the repetition will be the best possible opportunity for making progress. It is up to you to make sure you are setting up each session specific for each child, and it is up to you to also be flexible. Maybe last time you worked with them, they were doing really well, and this time they seem to be having a more difficult time. You need to be able to change, adapt, alter the plans to fit their needs for that specific moment. Like I said before, As therapists, we are constantly evaluating, assessing, and making keen observations of the people we are working with. This is how we are able to make the adjustments that will best meet their needs each time we see them. This includes working with kids in any setting. In the home setting, we may be able to directly work with the kids and the family together and provide suggestions based on each session. I think this is one of the challenges we face when working with families in their homes is that we want to give them the tools to help their own child when we aren't there. That is one one of the benefits of early intervention, especially when you get to go to their home. But we also have the knowledge and understanding to recognize when things are working and when they are not working, and we may be able to determine why. The parents don't always have 
this understanding or they aren't always thinking about it in that way. When we provide suggestions for the parents of things they can work on with their child, and they may try some of these things when we aren't there, that is the hope. If they don't work out the first time they do it with them, they may not be very likely to try it again. Even if you have them try the activity with the child while you are there and you're coaching them, if it doesn't work out quite right the next time they do it when you aren't there, they may just figure there was something special you did, so they will just wait until you come back again, and you can show them again. Which is fine, but it could have just been something simple that happened in that moment where the child maybe just wasn't feeling like participating right then for whatever reason. If the parent would try it again the next day with them, it could be a complete success. But the chances of them trying it that next day, depending on the parent, it could be low. Some parents will try again and try again, and others might wait for you. It's not uncommon for me to suggest an activity for a parent to work on with their child where the activity is one that I know their child can already do. This activity is not difficult for them anymore, but they may need some adult assistance for some part of it. With the parent doing the activity with them during the week, both of them can feel successful because the child will likely want to to do the activity and the parent will be able to do it with their child. There are times when it takes this type of setup to happen first before parents are ready to move on to the more challenging or even slightly challenging activities with their kids. It's not hurting the child or holding them back to do this because they are still getting that repetition and practice in which they really need. And it helps build a positive and successful relationship between the parents and the child for doing these types of activities. I think I'm starting to get a little off track, but I, I want to bring it back to talking about more of the strategies for working with kids with low cognition. These kids may not always get the point of activities, and that doesn't necessarily matter. We hope they will eventually get there to where they will have a better understanding of what or why or how, but depending on where they are in their learning skills, and if they aren't to the point of understanding those things yet, and sometimes just kids don't get them, um, depend, even with higher cognition. You can still accomplish a lot with these kids by going through the motor skill activities, getting the repetition. A lot of things may be pure cause and effect type of activities, and that's okay if that's where they're at. Keep working on those things and trying to gradually increase their understanding of the world in whatever ways meet their needs and abilities. As OTs, sometimes this can be difficult for us because we were born to work on functional skills. To work on skills that will help people become as independent as possible. When working with kids, these skills tend to be focused on self-help skills, which we usually think of as dressing and undressing, toileting, brushing teeth and washing hands, and feeding skills and other things. These are great things, but these activities can be really difficult for kids, especially with cognitive impairments. They may or may not see the point in some of these things, or have enough of an understanding of how to motor plan these things. 
self-help skills, a lot or most of them or all of them, seem to require multiple steps to complete them. Nothing in this area is simple. It's not basic, straight cause and effect. They can require not only multiple steps, but a lot of motor planning, body awareness, bilateral coordination, fine and gross motor control, visual motor skills, and so much more. That's why these things can take so much longer for kids to learn. I know many preschoolers who have the hardest time pushing down on, for example, a liquid um, soap dispenser with one hand while also holding their other hand underneath it in the correct place at the same time to do a hand-washing routine. For some kids, just pushing down on the liquid soap dispenser is really hard. This is an activity that many people, I think, take for granted, but it can be so complex for these kids. And repetition and practice, again, can help with this. And I do think that practicing the actual activity with the actual real items is the most beneficial thing to do. I also think practicing these skills in other ways with other items can add to the repetition and also keep things interesting. Simply things like holding a small tube or a small cup in one hand and having the kids um, dump things from the tube into their other hand is one idea. Similar to kind of the soap idea, but different. Or maybe squeezing um, a sponge full of water with one hand and having them hold their opposite hand underneath to feel the water falling down. You can use an empty soap dispenser or one that's that you've already f- taken all the soap out of and just put some water in it. Let them go to town, pumping water into a container or a sink with toys. They can spray water as much as they want, wash the toys, or whatever game you come up with. And using the soap dispenser this way, it will allow them to hold the bottle with one hand if they can and push down with the other hand. They can get repetitive practice with how it feels to just push the dispenser down and they can hold it in a way that might work better for them to be successful. Of course, that if you find a different brand or style of soap dispenser in this case that is easier to push down than others, there is no reason why you can't switch and let them use the easier one instead. If this helps them be more successful, I would prefer that you do this. While continuing to work on their bilateral coordination skills and their hand and upper extremity strength and visual motor skills, in the meantime, all those things that are needed for the task so they can eventually use any of the soap dispensers that you have available. This is just one specific example and it won't apply to everyone, but that's not really the point anyway. The point is to think about what their goals are or what you are trying to help them learn or accomplish and find ways to replicate the activities as well as working on the actual activity with as little or as much assistance as they need. Changing and adapting the activity and the amount of assistance needed over time to where they will be doing more of it and you will be assisting less. Also, thinking about the examples of activities to work on using the soap dispenser. The ones I gave have a cause and effect type of component to them. You turn the cup over and the objects fall out, cause and effect. You squeeze the sponge and water comes out, cause and effect. 
But these particular types of examples go beyond just simple cause and effect. So for those kids that are beyond that level, but still enjoy those types of rewards from cause and effect, continue to benefit from that. But also by adding in the bilateral piece, you have up the ante, so to speak. When they need to use both hands to do the activity, and one hand is doing one thing while the other hand is doing something else, you have increased the challenge of the activity. This is one of the ways that I try to push those kiddos ahead that have lower cognition, but that understand cause and effect. I use that concept they already know or are getting better at understanding and increase the challenge by adding a more difficult physical component to it. And maybe it's sitting on a peanut ball to work on trunk control or sitting on the floor with a balance disc underneath them and trying to maintain sitting with their legs crisscrossed or standing up without leaning on the table or the surface in front of them for support. Maybe they work on crossing midline to get the sponges from the table, for example, before dunking them in the water to squeeze them. Maybe they have to reach up higher to get the next piece, or reach up higher to put it back in a container or get a new one, or reach across midline or out to either side to challenge their balance. I'm getting back to the email question about working on the self-help skill of putting socks and shoes on and off. With this, again, there is nothing quite like working on the actual activity. Having them go through the motions of pulling their socks on and putting their shoes on. But this is also not a simple cause and effect activity. So much goes into just trying to put a sock on your own foot. For those kids who have a weak core, who have trouble using both hands together, who have trouble balancing, who have lower cognitive abilities... This is a very difficult skill. All of these things are extremely helpful in order for you to be able to put a sock on your own foot independently. For the kids who don't have all of these skills, it can take even more repetition and practice to get it. And for those kids who wear AFOs or things like that on their feet and legs, putting socks or shoes on with those items can be even more difficult. The person who emailed about this topic mentioned using backward chaining with putting on socks and things like that, which is a really great strategy to use. Although it will likely still take a long time to get through the chain because for kids with low cognition, they may need a lot of repetition for each step of the activity. Before even moving on to the next step and repeating all of the repetition with that one, Depending on the individual child, their abilities could range from having multiple disabilities to fewer disabilities, so the amount of repetition and chains in the process will, of course, vary for each individual. In addition to backwards chaining, you can provide more activities that will work on the same type of skills that you need for putting on socks, but they might look different than the actual activity. For example, You can use both hands to pull rubber bands open to place them around an object like a can of vegetables, for example. This works on the specific skill of using both hands together to pull open the object, 
which is similar to what you do when you are going to put on a sock. However, you might you have changed the activity, so they might be able to focus only on that piece of the task. You can eliminate the other pieces of the activity, which are more difficult, like balancing and coordinating, bending over and using both hands to pull the socks, or whatever step of this activity they are working on. Something like this can allow them to focus on this piece of the activity where they use both hands together and motor plan how to pull the rubber bands open and place them on the can or whatever you have that will work. And if you have the right fit with everything, they can be successful in doing the activity and also practice and practice with more rubber bands. Of course, instead of rubber bands, you can use the cotton headbands or scrunchies or something like that that might be less resistive if needed. If they can do this while at midline in supported sitting at a table, for example, then start moving the object towards their left and their right and have them practice doing it slightly out of midline. You can raise the object up higher, turn it at different angles, you can bring it down lower so they can start to move in different planes and levels to start challenging their balance and continue to work on core strength and activation while using both hands together at the same time. By involving both hands working together, this can present a big challenge for kids with a weaker core because they often rely on one hand or the other for support. They might lean on one hand while reaching with the other so they don't fall over. While this is a good strategy for them to come up with, it doesn't challenge them to work on their core muscles and activate those muscles to hold themselves up. You can change this activity when they are ready and have them put these cotton hairbands or whatever you're using on, for example, on their own leg. This should be easier to manage than an actual sock and will allow them to be challenged by using both hands and balancing their body while trying to get it over their foot. If they are to this point, using a sock that is too big for them could be an option as a next step and moving on from there. As I said, I prefer to practice the activity we are actually working on, putting a sock on their own foot, and I encourage you to continue practicing the actual activities while also giving them other ways of getting it done and working on more of those specific pieces of the whole skill. The idea is it should eventually all come together. And if you're working at a school or a preschool, make sure you are giving the parents these ideas too. Have them practice them at home to get in more of the repetition in different, and in different environments. Okay, I think I'm going to end here for today. I will continue with these topics again on other another show soon. And I will focus more on additional strategies for kids with vision impairments and low cognition when I do that show. I'm going to work hard to keep the shows coming so you hopefully won't have to wait as long for the next one. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Mm-hmm.